Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to episode 16 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis Dahl from Summer Dental Laboratories in Zionsville, Indiana. And I'm Barbara Wojan, Night Dental Group, Oldsmar, Florida. We have a great roundtable today. Do you do removables at Night Dental Group? Yes, we do do removables at Night Dental Group. That was one of the areas that my dad, when he first started the lab, he had a removable, a frame, and a crown and bridge lab. So yes, we still do some. Do you do it yourself or are you only fixed? No, I do not do it. Um, I understand it very little. So I let the experts do it and I just try to manage the sales. You know enough to be dangerous, huh? Not not even that. No, I know enough. (laughs) I know enough to, to stay out of it and let them handle it and not even uh, not even go there. I'm smart enough to know what I don't know. <laughs> Have you ever tried to sit down and set teeth? No. It's crazy. Nope. It's crazy hard. I can wax, um, but no, I have not. But I respect those that understand it because it's, a, it's something that I always wanted to get into, um, but I've never really had the time and got a lot of good friends in that department and they do an amazing job. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for removable technicians. And the ones we have at Summer... Big props to them. We have an amazing removable team right now, and they do some killer work. We got a really neat group of individuals from different removable labs from different parts of the country on today. It's a fascinating discussion on how they got into the industry. Each one's a little bit different. Their take on the digital denture revolution, I'm using air quotes there, and the technician-dentist relationship fascinating stuff. Looking forward to it. I had to actually pop off that podcast because I was having some issues when I was in Florida, Um, but I've listened to it since and it's an amazing group of individuals and we're looking forward to uh, sharing it. Yeah. Barb was at the Florida Dental Convention when we recorded this and I believe you couldn't check into your room yet and you tried to connect in like a lobby of a hotel, (laughs) but I guess Florida dentists are so loud and rowdy. That we kept hearing them in the background. I got shushed by you and emailed by you. I'm hearing noises. I'm hearing noises. Turn the (laughs) off. And finally, I just had it. So sorry. Sorry that I missed it. But it's a great podcast. I appreciate you guys. Excellent. Well, we got a lot to cover. So let's get to it. Removable Roundtable. Enjoy. King Arthur had his knights. Captain America has his Avengers. And dentists have their laboratories. These unique individuals have gathered together to entertain and enlighten all who dare to sit down at the round table and listen to the voices from the bench. Welcome to the round table. We put together a great group of some individuals that only run labs that do removable work. Our lab here do both removable and fixed, but it's interesting to me that there's labs out there that don't deal in the fixed world. So we're going to go through the group, kind of introduce everybody, and I'd like for you guys to give me a good five, ten-minute version of kind of how you got into the industry, where you learned all your technique, and uh, about the lab you're currently at. So let's start with Tom Zaleski. How are you, sir? I'm fine. Thanks, Elvis. Hey, I appreciate you joining us. You're at Matrix Dental Lab, which I think is here in Indiana, correct? Matrix Dental Laboratory and Consulting. I'm in Crown Point, Indiana. Hi, uh, fellow Hoosier. How are you? Uh, I'm good, thanks. It's uh, it's great to be here, finally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
For those just joining us, we've had some connection issues because technology is always great. So, sir, tell us, how'd you get into this industry? I was in a totally unrelated field. Uh, I sold OEM electronics to original end manufacturing uh, back in the uh, early 80s, uh, late 70s, early 80s. And offshore came into the picture and it totally destroyed the marketplace for sales. And of course, I had to live through a couple of recessions during that time. And I got to this, a point where I was totally uh, just tired of the whole of the whole thing as far as the economy dictating what I could make. And I thought if I could make a product and I could set the prices and market it myself, uh, I could be in total control. So with that being said, uh, one day I was sitting in the back of a dental office of a buddy of mine uh, waiting for him to finish up his patient so we could go to lunch. And I started picking up instruments and realized how cool it was to uh, use my hands uh, to make something. And I said to him, hey, you know, it's a shame I didn't become a dentist. And he said, well, you know what? You don't have to be a dentist. You can be a dental laboratory technician. And I said, no kidding. So that night I went home and did a search and found that there was a dental laboratory technology program at Triton College, which was about 25 minutes from my house. The rest is history. I checked to see whether or not uh, when their program started. It started in the fall, and I gave half a year's notice and started started in the program in the fall, and I went two years. I basically sold everything I had, traded my car back in, and worked in a little grocery store uh, after school for the first year. And then the second year, I went to the guy who basically I was sitting in the back of his lab, and I said, hey, listen, why don't you allow me to come in? And at that time, him and his partner were baking crowns. And I said, why don't you let me come in there, and I'll do all of your model work, copings, and everything. In return, you'll give me a place to begin my business, and of course, you'll give me all of your removable business as well. And uh, so I started at that, and eight, after eight years of being able to meet the patients from start to finish in his office and seeing how a case progresses and how it's delivered and then the failings and the successes, uh, I was ready to uh, hit it and uh, spent a half a year building a lab in the basement of my home. And uh, on a Saturday or Sunday, I finished up the construction. On a Monday, I moved all the case pans over to there and began working on the basement of my home. I appreciate it, sir. Let's move on. Richard Wills from Wichita Falls, Texas. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Appreciate you joining us today. Tell us, how did you get started? Back in the day, haha. <laughs> went went off to college and gonna gonna be somebody and decided I wasn't making enough money while going to school and got out and got married and needed benefits and lo and behold there was the military. So Oh, there you go. I, I joined the Air Force 30 years ago, and they taught this farm boy how to set teeth, and so I spent 10 years in the Air Force learning all I could. After 10 years, I was sick of it, got out of the military, found me a minimum wage job for a few months, decided I was tired of being broke, and uh, went to work in a laboratory and worked for a couple other well, worked for Crown and Bridge Lab for a while and then worked for a full service lab for about seven years being a manager and had the opportunity to open my own lab doing flexible partials. And that's how I came to be a removable lab. And that was 11 years ago now. This is my 11th year working for myself instead of making somebody else the money. There you go. 
which is why I've opened my own business. For probably nine years of, of the 11 I've been open, we were completely just removable. Got into these all in four cases, got into the Nobel scanner. Mm-hmm. After a while, decided I wanted to have a little more control of the product I was turning out and got three shape scanner and a rolling mill to mill RPD frameworks and my bars. I don't deliver titanium bars. I deliver, they're, they're made out of trilor. They're a fiber composite. Yeah. But I, I just feel like I can have a little better control over what I'm delivering to my doctors if I do it myself. And of course, having a rolling mill, it's a nice mill to mill crowns with. So we probably do one or two crowns a week. So if that makes us a full service lab, so be it. But I think we're still just a removable lab that just provides a couple of crowns here and there for our removable accounts. Interesting. My lab has just grown and grown and I've just very recently kind of downsized, decided the all in four surgeries were a lot of fun for a while, but it had taken me away from the bench from being a lab tech and <laughs> it just had uh, progressed into where I didn't really want to be and decided it was time to come back to the bench and run my business instead of letting my business run me. And so now we're down to four full-time employees and one part-time. I think it's going to be a win-win situation. Yeah. I met a few techs that got their training through the military, and I really respect what they learn and what they do. They they are some good technicians. They produce some good people. We learned it in six months where... Amen. If you go to school like Tom did, it's a two-year program, and they, they crammed it down our throats for six months. So do you still specialize in flexibles? I still provide flexibles, yes. They're a very small portion of what we do. Yeah. It works. It's a good product. It's just I don't agree with it in every application that the doctor wants it for. I agree. But it has its place, and it's what got my doors open, so I still provide it. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you sharing the story with us. Brian Moeller? Am I saying that right? It's Mauer, like an hour. Mauer. (laughs) Mauer like an hour. Brian Mauer, thank you for joining us from Diamond Springs, California. Thanks for uh, waking up and uh, joining us from the West Coast. I appreciate that. You bet. How did you get into this crazy business? Well, believe it or not, when I was in high school, about 16 years old, a friend of mine asked me what I wanted to do when I graduated high school. And I said, uh, I said, you know, I I think I want to open up a dental lab someday. What? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) True story. (laughs) And I ended up graduating. I joined the military. I was in the Navy, was a boatswain's mate uh, for the first year and a half I was in there and got tired of chipping paint. And believe it or not, I actually sat on the anchor and painted the anchor. And I think it was at that point that I said, I got to do something different than this because this isn't Mm. for me. And uh, so I took a course while I was in the Navy and became a dental assistant on board a ship and did that for uh, probably about a year and a half. And after five years, got out of the Navy. I went to look for a job as a dental assistant. And back then, there were very, very few uh, male dental assistants. So it was pretty much impossible for me to find a job doing that. And I really wanted, my interest was in the laboratory anyway. So my grandmother was a a dental hygiene instructor at our uh, local city college. And she introduced me to a man named Jim Ennis. And I went to visit him. And about two, three weeks later, he gave me a job. And 
I started in a dental laboratory. I was a delivery person. So I did pick oh, up and delivery for yeah. about a year. And, you know, in my time where I wasn't actually out on the road, I just kind of learned little things here and there, how to do model work, how to articulate. And eventually I was offered a job inside in the, in the removal department. And I did that for about five years and was offered a different position at the same laboratory because we had our Chrome manager was going to be retiring. So I switched departments from the denture department into the Chrome department and learned how to do Chrome and did that for another 11 years. I left that job for another job to manage a removable department uh, at another laboratory did that for about a little over a year and a half and decided without having full control, I, it was just driving me nuts because I'm kind of a control freak when it comes to quality. And so I decided to open my own laboratory. And that was uh, just over 20 years ago. And we've been doing that and business has been growing year after year. We just keep getting busier and busier. I started doing implants probably about 10 years ago back when we used to cast bars. Oh, yeah. And the first bar that I had milled, when it came back and I looked at it, I swore I would never cast another bar. And I never did. <laughs> I've never casted another bar. Do a lot of all-on-fours, all-on-six, uh, a lot of overdenture bars. Um, and it's the implant world to me is it's like that's my place. That's my home. Uh, but I still do chrome. I do my own castings. Uh, we do full dentures, we do flexibles, we do, we're full service removable is what I call it. Sure. We only think we send out our bars. Uh, but other than that, it's, you know, it's an outstanding industry. I still love it. I'm looking forward to the future of what's going to happen next because I see this big digital thing on the, on the horizon. It's actually more than on the horizon now. And, uh, it's, uh, it's at our back door, so that's probably going to be my next interest to uh, to get involved in. Awesome. Well, let's segue right into it. Everyone's got their opinion on digital dentures. <laughs> where where do some of you? Yeah, where do some of you guys stand on it? Let's start with you, Tom. Where do you stand on this whole digital denture thing? Rich and Brian both know me, and most people who know me know my standing on it. And it's this: everybody has a digital sweet spot. You know, a place where digital technology comes into play. And of course, I'm referring to the removable realm, not, you know, overall dental laboratory technology, but everybody's got this, you know, a digital sweet spot. Um, Some are very broad and some are very narrow. Mine is very narrow. Uh, I see applications for digital technology in things like, as Brian alluded to, bar fabrication. I don't think that it could be any done any better to, to be able to mill the products like Richard or or titanium or any of those type of products, I you know I don't see where that could be done better. Uh, I see that there is a a great gain in partial denture fabrication because you're making wax patterns that are cast and and there's just better accuracy. However, when it comes to the conventional removable prosthetics, there's there's a ton of failings because of the fact that. Uh, the manufacturers are basically driving the whole thing. It's not really good clinical dentistry that's doing it, but it's the manufacturers themselves that are driving I agree. Yep. Uh, everybody to adopt it. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a clinical guy. You know, I'm a patient-centered guy. And when I hear the kind of claims that are unsubstantiated, uh, 
with nothing other than anecdotal observations, I back up, okay? And, uh, you know, just to give you an example of how the market is being manipulated by the manufacturers is if you were to believe everything you read out there, you would think that there's a lot of digital dentures, conventional dentures being made. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, I can cite an article from LMT for 2017, which cited the percentages of complete dentures fabricated in 2017 and how they were fabricated, okay? And this is off of Judy's magazine. And only 1%, 1% of, of conventional dentures were fabricated digitally. Yep. Everything else was either microwave-cured, poor, poor technique, injection, or hand pads. How many times do you think they had to remake that 1%? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, you know, you know that's a that's a great point, Elvis, because the laboratories have become the beta testing sites for the manufacturers. Yeah. You know, I mean, as as ugly as people don't want to talk about it, the fact of the matter is that's been our existence in the last thirty years. I can tell you a handful of products that I know that were launched uh, and laboratories invested in, only to find out later that it never reached its claims. Okay. Yep. So, you know, I, I, I have a little jaundiced eye about the whole thing. Um, you know, uh, my, my saying is this. If laboratories and clinical dentistry tried as hard to do the traditional things as they're trying to make this digital thing work, there would be no need for digital. Very true. Because, you know, they, 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 nobody wanted to try. And then, you know, the other part of that is that clinical dentistry is pretty much you know, turn their back on the dental laboratory profession. They need us. We're a necessary evil. But, you know, there used to be a day 30 years ago and better where if you were a dental student, you could go over to the laboratory that was on site at the university and you could look over the shoulder and you could get insight into, you know, what you're doing clinically and how it relates to the overall outcome of a case by seeing what the dental laboratory is doing and the technicians are yep. doing. It also gives a greater appreciation for that. I think that we're getting these new normals being established and so they're lower normals and because of that, I think that this is giving the the impetus for people to take a look at digital for conventional denture fabrication because it's less they need to know they feel it gets them to an end result but as i always said you know uh what's the difference between dentures and removable prosthetics and i always say dentures fills a hole in the patient's face where a removable prosthetics treats the whole patient. And I think we're getting far away from treating the whole patient when we start using this digital technology without any real confirmation, clinical significant confirmation that it's all that. That's awesome. I like that saying, though. Fill a hole. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can, you can fill a hole with a piece of plastic and some white-colored teeth, but are you really treating the patient? Are you addressing phonetics? Are you addressing facial support are you you know i mean there's a ton of things that you need to address it's just not about having some white things in a person's mouth i absolutely i agree so i think that that just plays into that whole thing with the with the digital the digital realm you know the other thing is this if there was if if there was a sound way of doing it then everybody be doing it the same way but see every manufacturer is trying to figure out how can they play to the whole thing and so that's why you got five six different ways of doing yeah. it yeah anyways that's my humble opinion <laughs> <laughs> 
What about you, Richard? You opened up talking about scanners and mills. You seem to be into the technical game. How do you feel about these digital dentures? Well, I think it's here, but I think they're a long ways from being the normal. Probably at least four or five years. That being said, it may happen next year. Who knows? But I even went to a lecture yesterday evening in Dallas on it, just trying to hear what else is being said. It'll happen. I'm not their big supporter yet. So, yeah. You know, RPD frameworks, one of the reasons I've got a mill. I bought into it for these all-on-four bars, and we are milling our RPD frameworks out of PMMA and acetyl pucks and processing acrylic and gradia to these frameworks just because I think they're healthier for the oral environment than the metal frame. I just believe in it more than the metal, even though the metal's been around for 100 years. It's just a small improvement. Absolutely. What about you, Brian? You're on. Uh, you're out in California. That's where all the new stuff starts. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm with Richard. I, I, you know, I look at it and I think, you know, it's still probably four or five years away. And even though in that time, hopefully, God willing, I'll be retired. <laughs> but if not, I'll, you know, I still want to keep up with that. So I'm. I'm. It definitely interests me, and I'm looking to take some courses on it and just to get involved in it because I know that at some point it is definitely coming. As, as far as the acetyl resin uh, for uh, for RPDs, I just I just love that idea. Sure. Um, and that's that's something I'm you know interested in as well. I, I've just I've done my metal framework castings for so many years. It's just second nature to me. But you know when I look through some of these tech magazines and I I see the new technology out there for partials and the new materials, I look at it and I go, you know, gosh, that's, there's definitely got to be a better way. There's got to be something that's, you know, that's going to be better in the mouth. That's going to look better. That's going to feel better. Not going to have a funny taste. And so, you know, I'm looking into that as well. But for me, unfortunately, I, my time span doesn't go very far. So it's just a matter of how much do I want to invest before the end of that? Sure. I wonder has anybody asked you guys for digital dentures? No. No. I've had one doctor that uh, called me and asked me if I had a scanner. And I said, no. I said, I'm looking into it. I may eventually get one. I've done work for her for years. Well, she was just totally on the digital cusp and she wanted to do it, start doing everything digital. So I ended up actually losing that account because she wanted to go all digital. So she found a laboratory that was doing digital dentures. Yeah, I find it interesting that none of the dentists are asking for digital dentures. <laughs> I don't I don't think they believe in them. I don't think they do either. I don't think they want to do dentures at all. No, that's true. <laughs> well, that's a great point. I think the only doctors that are going to do digital dentures in the beginning are going to be the young guys that are in just fresh out of dental school that actually saw it in school. Yeah. The old timers yeah, they've bought into it for crown preps, but if they're doing dentures, they like putting an impression in someone's mouth and having the control over the base plates. And there goes that that new, you know, the new normal, Rich. Right? Yes. You know, the new normal is that wet fingered dentistry guys get all icky about it because of the fact that 
you know, you have to treat the patient. And it doesn't play well with practice management consultants either who tell a dentist you only got X amount of time to spend in somebody's mouth and you got to dismiss them, reappoint them, and get another butt in the chair. Right. You know, that's the other part of it, to to execute well-made, well-fabricated uh, removable prosthetics, it may take a few appointments. And the whole thing about understanding what constitutes a success has actually been eroded, too. I mean, you don't have to go very far online to go to the oops pages on Facebook to see what clinical dentistry is producing. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, I mean, you, you see the impressions, you see the models, you see th- what prescriptions are asking for. It's a shame. It's a real shame because the, the patients are being underserved. And this other thing, this mindset about dentures in a day, I don't know about you, but when I pay money for something, I'd like to have some interface with the dentist. I'd like to be able to feel like I'm being treated for my money Mm -hmm. and not just worked on and dismissed. This is that new normal I keep talking about. You know, we're talking about how the implants and and old guys and older dentists. The thing is that there's a big, huge sucking vacuum that's going on out there because nobody wants to to investigate the finer points. They just want to get it in and get it out. And it's a real shame. That's the doctors I believe are going to be asking for the digital dentures or the ones that are just looking at how quick can I run the cattle through my office to make some money. It's not about the patient. That's a shame. Well, I had one of the companies that's pushing digital dentures. I can't even remember which one. When they came in to present it to us, their big selling point was you could do it in two appointments. Well, I could do a denture in two appointments conventionally. Yeah, I know, but I was like, why? Why? What's the hurry to do something right? I don't understand. You get the billing right. in quicker, Elvis. I guess. I guess. I mean, <laughs> I'm with you, Tom. I don't see the point of trying to rush through something as important as, quote unquote, filling a hole in the mouth. Amen. Amen. I mean, you know, we just don't have enough patient-centered dental laboratories out there because we're mostly reactive sorts. We're not proactive sorts. I've always been a proactive guy. Anybody who knows me will know I've always promoted the better way of doing it with a better outcome. But, you know, most laboratories, if a dentist asks them for something and it goes against their grain rather than, well, I mean, I, I, could, I can give you a perfect example. Why is it that ever since the day I've been in this industry, nobody wants to charge for resets, even though it was a clinical responsibility that may have caused it? Mm-hmm. Or a clinical responsibility that would have caused failure of a restoration? Because they, they're reactive, they're not proactive. You know, they, they, they don't want to lose an account. Well, you know what? Look, fast forward, we're here now in 2018, and because of the fact we didn't take a proactive stance early in our profession, and I'm talking about as a profession, uh, we've gotten to the point now where it's just become standard operating procedure to just accept any kind of a clinical failing, correct it, and give it to them for a discounted price or for or no price at all. Just do it because for the sake of business. Well, a lot of it is we're afraid that they'll leave. That's what I say, for the sake of business. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that can be a blessing, though. That's true. (laughs) Well, you're talking to a guy that when I moved from Illinois to Indiana, that was uh, 12 years ago, the first 20 years of my career, I had 365 practices that came through and left my laboratory. You know why? Because I asked for I asked for the time to get the job done. I'm not cheap. 
I won't do a resets uh, for free. I won't do remakes for free unless it's my response. Here, here, here's what I tell doctors who expect me to do resets and remakes for free. If I walk across my laboratory tomorrow and I'm working on your case and I drop it and I crack a tooth, I fix that tooth. I don't send you a bill for it. So you can't expect that if you took a bad bite registration and you send me a new bite to reset the case up, you can't expect me to accept those clinical liabilities that you were remiss at, at performing uh, at the beginning of the case. I hear you. you know? But I've lost a lot of counts over the years. But you know the funny thing is? I always get yeah. accounts too. <laughs> people always, you know, people always come to me. I, you know, that's the mystery. You know, everybody's always worried about losing accounts. Hey, here's a one man band. It had 360 some odd practices come and go through my business. Yeah. I'm sure for those listening, every technician is smiling. Most dentists are frowning, <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. And I, and, I, and I have a great respect for clinical dentistry when it's performed the right way, when the mindset is right. But, you know, a lot of people get into things just for money, and that's not really the best motivation. Yeah, there's always going to be a bad seeds everywhere. There's, well, there's labs out there that are doing things they shouldn't be doing yep. without the, the thought of the patient and just about getting the, the billing. Absolutely. Well, then if you love what you do, you're going to do the best job you can, so... That's true, Brian. Yeah. And, and you know, Elvis, the, the two individuals here that are involved in this with me are people that belong to a study group that I have. And I tend to gravitate towards quality individuals. And that's why you get the kind of feedback from these guys that you get, you know, because they're quality individuals and they produce a quality product. And we all have a different place in the market. Yes, absolutely. We're becoming a very, very, very small group, and us who have the knowledge base, you know, Brian, 40 years, Rich, 30-something years, myself, 30 years. I mean, you know, we're, we're sharing with, you know, we're sharing our experiences, and it might be 2018, and we might have gotten in in 20, uh, 1986, but the fact of the matter is the problems are all pretty much the same, and the way we get around them all is differs, but it all reaches the same conclusion, you know. Very true. One of the greatest things about this industry I've learned, not just I want to thank Tom Zaliski, Brian Maurer, and Richard Wills. Join us next week for part two where they continue this discussion. You know, how this whole group came together, Tom Zaleski contacted me through info at VoicesFromTheBench.com and proposed the idea of doing a roundtable discussing the differences between a small and large removable-only lab. Unfortunately, the biggest lab that we had lined up had a scheduling conflict at the last minute and had to back out, but we ended up with two small labs and one that's a bit bigger. Still turned out to be a really great roundtable. But that's how it works. If you got an idea, if you have a topic you want to discuss... Send me an email, info at voicesfromthebench.com. We'll see what we can put together, and we'll record. Yes, we appreciate you, but we need some more people logging on, letting us know what you're interested in. Anybody that wants to come on the podcast, let us know. We're always looking for uh, people to interview and new listeners. All right, as always, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your dentists, tell your vendors. Voices from the Bench, everywhere where podcasts are found. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. We'll see you next week. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 
on this. <laughs>